Hello and welcome, I'm Alexander. I'm Simon. And I'm Tony. We are still very much needed in tech, and this is episode 106, recorded on the 15th of February 2020. We have a lot to cover, especially since this is the second time we're doing exactly this episode. We had a bit of a mishap yesterday, and uh, the audio, well, was crap. So if the audio is crap, we get to do it all again, and this one is on me. Yeah, but but the sad thing about this is that I absolutely messed up every single subject we spoke about yesterday. My Cortana speaker started acting out, my headphones dropped out, every single thing. And you didn't do anything wrong for once, apart from having crappy sound. Dude, you just said that your Cortana acted out. (laughs) Usually people call it acting up. Dude... (laughs) Is your Cortana, like, a teenager? I would say so, yes. She rarely does what I tell her to do. She's loud. And no one wants to support her. That's a bad personal assistant. And she doesn't care. (laughs) Well, that does sound like a teenager. Funny that. (laughs) And she knows when I am sleeping. She knows when I'm awake. And on that bombshell, I think it's time to end this episode. <laughs> so, what's happened since last time? Oh, it's it's been a very, very busy week. Um, and for starters, I'd like to do a, a slight um, discussion on, on an interesting topic that I came about uh, in, in Norway. I did a session at the Nordic Infrastructure Conference the other day. And my sessions are generally about the why in technology. I don't care that much about the how and very rarely about the what. But it turns out that this conference is very geared towards the how. That is in in no sense of the word wrong at all. It's just a different flavor. And while I haven't got my my, uh, reviews yet, I am thinking that people were expecting more of a how and less of a why. So what's your take on this whole how and why difference and what do you go for when you do sessions and when you you go for for conferences well i personally do still like the how stuff very much Uh, i have been focused on that pretty much my whole career Uh, of course the why is very important but somehow i have been just more focused on the how stuff i like to know very like deep dive in the how you exactly do things uh, with technology and and that's 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 great to hear. I mean, it's it's important. But how come you prefer the 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 how before the why? Because I mean, you can always go Google the the how. Yeah, sure. But it's still, I'd say it's important to you know have your basic knowledge, and then if you need to you know go deep diving, uh, that's of course an experience question. So you can go deep diving if you have experience. If you don't, you can always try to use the Google's or, or you know, internet search, whatever, Bing <laughs> stuff. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, like I said, the why is still important, of course. But, you know, I'm the how kind of guy. And and just to keep that train of thought, are you going for the deeper sessions or are you going for slightly more overview sessions? Oh, no, no, no. It's always the like expert level 400 plus pretty much. Okay, cool. In- interesting thoughts. Simon, what, what's what's your thoughts? I think it's 
this is the good thing about re-recording episodes. Because I've thought a lot about this topic since yesterday, and I, I still feel that we should do a special episode on this and bring in some other people. Mm-hmm. Because to me personally, I started off in IT looking for how sessions, but the the further I went into technology, the why started to mean more to me. So today when I attend the conferences, I'm usually there for the why. Because the how, I, I have colleagues that I can ask, I have communities that I can ask, I can Bing whatever out there and then Google it again. So to me, the why is more important. But I think there are two, two very important parts to consider here. So the first one, which which can be a very uh, unique thing, but I think I really felt it after my Ignite session, which was basically both why and how, but with a lot of demos. But one of the feedback points I got were that I was doing the consultancy thing during my session to mention things you can do, but not show how to do it. And one of the feedback comments I got were that that's not what the attendees want, which I absolutely can understand. But I think it's important to remember that like when, I can honestly say when I go up on a stage speaking, I'm not there to try to get people to turn to me afterwards and ask me to do things and I will require payment for that. I'm there to share my knowledge. Which then turns into the next topic that I think it's important to understand who, what you want to communicate, which is either what the audience wants to hear or what they need to hear. And when they get to hear what they need to hear, some people will then feel that, okay, this wasn't what I was here for and this is not what I'm paying for, and the person on stage is telling me a lot of things which I have no clue about how to do it. Therefore, he or she wants to get a boost of the company's consultancy business. So I think it's it's very important to consider what do I want to deliver? Do I want to deliver what they are there for, what they want to see, or what they need to see? And am I there to entertain them? or educate them. What you just said there is the absolute key. Because I've had a lot of interesting discussions with with other speakers, because I have a very different opinion on demos than most people. I, I'm of the opinion that a, a, a live demo does not give you anything that a recorded demo with a good narrative can't give you. And, and that, that's, that's a different story. But the, what you said there was, are you there to entertain or educate? Yeah. I am there to educate and and make sure that people get what I'm saying. That's why I, I can take a level 400 concept and make it so simple that anyone can understand it. Does it turn into a level 100 concept then? Or is it still a level 400 concept? That's also another kind of, of discussion. But it's 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 quite an interesting topic. And definitely we need to find a few trainers and, and speakers to pull in and have an open conversation about because th- this is interesting stuff absolutely and you can also educate in an entertaining way that usually makes it easier to swallow absolutely that is a very good point 
they, they are not mutually exclusive all. No, exactly. And I think that's the point. It's about what's your primary goal? Is it to educate or entertain? But of course, when you educate, you should be entertaining as well. Uh, and since I'm not allowed to write anything on my keyboard while recording, since it's a very, very loud keyboard, I think we need to remember that we need to have a special episode on the how or the why uh, for conferences, mm-hmm. educate or entertain, and one on recorded or live demos, because that's coming up over and over and over again. And I don't think that the two sides in that discussion will ever get along. But it's a very, I think that ties in very well with the other parts of what we just said. So I Indeed. think we have a, we could do a special series on the, um, the psychology of technical presentations. Let's do that. Indeed. Completely switching subjects. <laughs> I think it was either yesterday or the day before Microsoft announced the preview of Azure Shared Disk for clustered applications. And this means that it is now possible to use a Windows clustering natively inside of Azure. How cool is that? Very cool. And about time as well. So instead of using, you know, huge DS or whatever machines in Azure, you can actually just cluster a bunch of smaller ones, for example. Sure. So like storage, storage space is direct kind of thing, right? Um, sort of, kind of. I mean, what you have here is this the the possibility to do the the classical Windows clustering, where you have, for instance, two database servers, and the other one is where you do machine learning, where you have multiple virtual machines reading from the same clustered disk, because you can always have multiple readers, just one exclusive writer. And so, so it's it's kind of close to uh, cluster shared volumes in that respect. And it's it's important to remember, and this is this is really what surprised me, and many with me, I would assume, since I have never thought about this being a feature that we have been missing. But this is actually the industry's first shared cloud block storage, yes. according to Microsoft. So. I think that many with me, I hope at least, just haven't considered that this was something they needed. But when you realize what you're able to do with this and that you haven't been able to do it previously, it opens up so many interesting possibilities, both from, like we spoke about previously, like machine learning, uh, migrating apps that are latency sensitive, things like that. So it's it's quite interesting to realize that we assume that the cloud can do everything and then there are features like this which haven't been there and we have been either able or unable to solve the challenge it solved on-prem up until now. True. We've had some third-party solutions to this previously, but now this is um, native to Windows clustering. And uh, this is surprisingly common when it comes to SQL Server, because especially here in Europe, because in Europe we tend to use standard edition much more than in the US. And that means that you're kind of stuck with either what is known as a basic availability group, which is the same thing technically as as mirroring, where you have all the 
well, it is mirroring underneath, but you have all the databases in in one group, as opposed to the enterprise edition where you can have multiple groups. So in order to get a good high availability solution on standard, you're usually finding yourself going for the Windows clustering. And voila, you could not do that in Azure previously. Now, I also want to point out, which is something that I always say when whenever the 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 concept of, of virtual machines in Azure comes up. Virtual machines should never be your primary idea. It should never be your first idea. It should be a the least bad solution to, to a problem, in my view. Try to use the services if they are um, doable and, and available. That is not always the case, but don't go for a VM just because you're used to a VM. That's that's my my point. Make sense? And, the, and that's a good point, absolutely. And going for my absolutely favorite toy in the box, Power BI. So, <laughs> yay! What a yay. surprise. I know, you're right? building You're building your empire based on Power BI. I, I am in many ways. And it's parts of it is, is pretty, pretty good. Parts of it is not. But for the 13th consecutive year, Microsoft is named a leader in the Gartner Magic Quadrant 2020 for analytics and BI platforms. And the, on, the, the only actual competitor is, is Tableau. And what's interesting in, in this quadrant is the fact that uh, the Salesforce acquisition of, of Tableau has not been taken into account. So what it's going to happen for 2021. We don't know. It's going to be extremely interesting to see what Tableau and Salesforce can cook up together. And it would surprise me a lot if Tableau did not reload and come back for a, a serious whooping of Power BI, because there are some things that Tableau does way better than Power BI does when it comes to visualization. And, and there are a lot of stuff that Power BI beats Tableau hands down. So it's not an, an easy choice for a lot of reasons. So I'm, I'm very curious to see what the next Magic Quadrant is. But for the moment, and for the 13th year, Microsoft is still on top. That's kind of cool. Yeah. And it will be interesting to see how the acquisition affects that. Because uh, Salesforce is in the visionary quadrant currently, right? Yes, but just just above. Because they're, they're pretty close to the center Okay, yeah. So it will be interesting to see how the technologies that made Salesforce get that position combined with the Tableau features will affect the position of Tableau. Absolutely. I mean, Salesforce has a huge reach that Tableau does not. And Tableau is bringing features to Salesforce where, which Salesforce never had. So it, it's definitely going to stir up the pot for the next year it's it's extremely exciting yeah and i think we could talk about gartner for ages because that that's every time i go to Igel disrupt they have a gartner representative there speaking as part of the keynote okay and this year it was just mind-blowing he nathan hill uh, was there this year and last year as well is just an amazing speaker and what they are delivering is actually making a lot of sense. And speaking about that, the Gartner conferences is the essence of a why conference because they don't do how. What I would be very, very curious about is 
how does Gartner come up with the stuff they say? Because they, they need to have a huge crystal ball, and not only a crystal ball, they need to have the experience and the, the knowledge how to use said crystal ball. They interview a lot of organizations, both new ones and, and older organizations. So that's basically what they... Uh, and both customers and partners. So it's it's based on interviews, uh, statistics, things like that. And then they have subject matter experts that really turns that data into actual why and strategic suggestions or recommendations moving forward. But I think that would be an interesting topic as well to actually speak to someone because like we I've done it. I think all of us have done it. Uh, when we say the word Gartner, it's still like, uh, what am I talking about? But they to me, they are getting more and more relevant for every year. Do you think that is because they are becoming more relevant or because we are moving up in the food chain, so to speak? So what they're saying is starting to make sense for us. Yeah, I, th- I think I'm growing up. <laughs> oh, yes. I'm, I'm going to so record that. I'm going to have that as a ringtone. <laughs> yep. Anyway, so another interesting tidbit, Adam Saxton of Guy in a Cube let's slip that incremental refresh is coming to Power BI Pro in very in a very short time. And incremental refreshes is a way to, to handle huge data volumes in Power BI, meaning that you don't need to refresh all the data. If you're looking at a couple of terabytes, it's going to be a while. This is using a kind of a high watermark to just refresh the new data. And this has been available in Power BI Premium for quite some time. But it is coming to Pro, according to Adam Sexton. And I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say that if he, he says that's the case, I buy that. Because Adam knows what he's talking about. So that is going to be so exciting. We are almost due for the February Power BI desktop uh, drop. So that's going to be interesting as well. Was he mentioning it a mistake or on purpose? I wasn't there. And from what I, I gathered from the tweets that I saw, it was on purpose. I don't think it was by mistake uh, for several reasons. He doesn't make mistakes. No, and I was just about to say that Adam is one of the few people that I think never makes a mistake. So there you go, Adam. Yeah, no, <laughs> we, no pressure, guy. No pressure at all. We don't <laughs> think you make any mistakes, which is kind of cool. Yep. So what's what's happening on your side of the woods, guys? I would like to hear the uh, fascinating yeah, story about uh, Azure AD Connect. Yeah, I'm thinking that are, are there any are there any trees or any forests or something like that in in your woods? You can't see the forests for all the trees. Uh, you guys, uh, <laughs> yeah. So all the Azure AD Connect stuff has finally been resolved. No more errors anywhere, neither on prem or in the cloud. And uh, it's been a long road, and I'm just so tired of hearing about Connect right now, so I don't want to have anything to do with it for a long time right now. It just, it's, it just has to work now. I don't, I, I don't want to hear anything, any issues. Could I just uh, put, put in a question there? The issues that you faced, were those new issues? Were they expected issues? Or were what, what happened? 
Well, I suppose most of them were unexpected issues, of course. So we had to contact like Microsoft support, get them involved in the case. Uh, and, you know, it took like days and days and days trying different things out. Uh, you know, pretty much all the testing takes, you know, at least 24 hours before you actually see the results and so forth. Mm-hmm. So it was a lo- long going case uh, with like sync issues. You got either errors on-prem or you got errors in the cloud uh, and they didn't necessarily sync up either. So even if it looked like everything was fine, the cloud was still yelling at you with, you know, this and that can't be done or, you know, this sync error or that proxy address is already in use or whatever. Uh, And then you notice that, okay, this object actually looks fine, except that it is syncing from the old forest, not the new one. So it is pretty much an orphan object. And then you have to relink them together again with the consistency grid and all that kind of stuff. So we had a lot of, you know, custom sync rules set up. And uh, once everything looked fine, then the custom sync rules began acting up. So if you created new objects, those weren't actually replicated correctly. <laughs> so <laughs> so then we had to, you know, roll back the custom sync rules and just try again. Would you say that you have enough information to write a blog post or two? Or Yeah, might be a good idea, actually. Cool. So speaking about that, and since you would like to get out from everything cloud-connected, uh, have you taken a look at the cloud provisioning? So Azure AD... Yeah, I know, I know about it. I have read a little bit about it. Uh, I haven't actually had a chance to try it out yet, but that's on my to-do list, of course. The vision is that you shouldn't have Azure AD Connect on-prem, but rather have your Azure AD as the source and provision things in your AD. So going the other direction and not being forced to have a server actually running on-prem to have a hybrid identity. Yeah, also you should be able to, you know, when you do onboarding, for example, you can just put the other forest in there as well. So it will just yeah. sync seamlessly without any connect being involved. So you're really, really pushing the, the client in this case to become the Azure Edge and having the, the Azure as the master, so to speak, and, and pushing out to the, to, to the Edge. Yeah, that, that's the vision. Currently, we aren't there, but that's the vision of it. Nice. It, it kind of feels nice. I, I get this fuzzy feeling in my stomach that, yeah, this, this is the way to go. But it's the same thing as Password Connect. It's the same thing as uh, Application Proxy, where you only have lightweight agents on-prem, but the entire service is running in the cloud. So that, that's the direction Microsoft is definitely moving. And speaking about that, by the way, uh, I have actually had the chance to install uh, Azure Bad Password Protection on-premise as well. Speaking of agents, I mean. So you install a proxy agent which downloads the custom list with known weak passwords. And then you have uh, agents installed on your domain controllers, which then uh, fetches the list from the proxy. So uh, a very nice system, very streamlined and yeah, like Alex said, it gives me a fuzzy feeling in my stomach, so <laughs> I suppose it's a good thing. So we have that installed right now, and it's running in audit mode, and it will be doing so for about a week, and then I will check all the logs to see uh, what they have discovered, and then we will probably just enforce the password policy straight up. Yeah, and, and the goal is, of course, to avoid simple passwords or easy-to-guess passwords. Yeah, known weak passwords. Yeah. And also we have the custom list. 
Exactly. With Azure AD Premium P1, you get a custom list so you can add your company name, the um, seasons in your local language, things like that. Uh, the seasons are already included. Oh, I didn't know that actually. In in all the languages. Yep. Yes. Cool. I so actually didn't you can, know that. You, yeah. So you can't, for example, have a password that says summer 2020. Or in Swedish, Sommar 2020, also forbidden. And in Finnish? Kesä 2020. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that works. And Simon, you've been acting out because you went to Igel Disrupt. Yep. Acting up. I'm... Acting out. <laughs> acting out. Not acting up. <laughs> acting out. Yeah, so uh, first I was missing in Milan at the Microsoft Ignite The Tour, which was a great event. I really enjoyed it. Met a lot of interesting people, both speakers and attendees. And I really liked Milan. The last time we were there, we spent only a few hours there, but this time it, I really liked it. And I had some proper Italian food this time. So it was great fun. And I I really enjoy being a part of the Ignite Microsoft Ignite Tour events since you are really treated as a valuable partner to Microsoft. Uh, good speaker lounges, uh, great people to talk to, yeah. So it's it's great fun. And then last week I was in Munich at Igel Disrupt for the second year now in a row. And again, it's it's one of the best conferences I've attended. Uh, same there, everything just works. And there are so many amazing speakers from all the different parts of EUC. At the EUC community, and this time Microsoft had a huge presence, uh, which to me is always fun. Uh, so um, I've really had two great weeks and uh, have some interesting topics to blog about later on. Uh, so I spoke I at in Milano, Milan. That still confuses me. The I can't for my life figure out why it's called Milan in English and Milano in every other language there is, basically. But we'll, we'll, that's for another episode. Uh, there I spoke about how to configure settings with Microsoft Intune and then how to drive user adoption of security features in enterprise mobility and security. And in Munich, I spoke about how to manage updates and upgrades and images for Windows Virtual Desktop. And one of the things I looked into, which I will blog about, is Azure Image Builder, which is basically a service in public preview currently which allows you to build images using JSON templates. So you can configure an actual Windows Server or Linux image based on code, which enables you to do continuous development of your Windows Server and Linux Server and Windows client images. Whoa, so you're you're actually taking the kind of the ARM template of, of Azure and putting it on your desktop. Yeah, sort of, kind of. You, you, and you do everything in the cloud. So you basically run a few bash commands. Yes, you use bash. I feel like a <coughs> real geek. But, uh, but is that like, you know, desired state configuration, pretty much? No. Uh, you can integrate them. So you're able to run PowerShell scripts. You're able to get files from GitHub. You're able to inject files, uh, register keys... So everything you can do with PowerShell or Bash, if you're using Linux, is available to you as code. So you can basically say, run this um, 
command which will install any application you have on a GitHub repository uh, from uh, Chocolaty, NuGet, whatever you like. And it will run in the background and build the image for you. And the end result is a VHD. Whoa, mind yeah. blown. And this is from yeah. a guy that never does anything with clients. But it's, it's wow. actually really, really cool. And there you go. Then you don't need to spin up your own machine, do everything manually, or even build your image on-prem and then upload it to Azure. One word for you. Version control. Yes, Exactly. Whoa, this is this is really cool. I have more cool features since it was such a long time since I was last on. Uh, I know we're running out of time, but I, I okay. I think I think you will understand this. I'll just in in the previous technical preview since uh, um, DJAM and the uh, product group for Intune and Configuration Manager is pouring out technical previews. So in the two thousand one dot two release. We got a feature which is has the headline token-based authentication for cloud management gateway. Wait a second, token, is that the, the uh, hedgehog that Samilaiho used <laughs> at Microsoft Ignite? <laughs> yeah, you get a you get a pin from the token. No no hedgehogs were harmed in making of this podcast. Basically, what it is is that you previously so a cloud management gateway enables you to reach your internet-based configuration manager managed Windows clients, wherever they are. You can basically do whatever you want over the internet. So run task sequences, install applications, get hardware inventory, do everything you like as if they were in your local network using configuration manager. Previously, that required you to have a certificate infrastructure, so you had something that you could trust your clients with when connecting to the cloud management gateway. Now, in preview, you can do that token-based and with a self-signed certificate instead, which enables you to really get a very simple infrastructure to manage your internet-based clients wherever they are. And we're back to treating the clients as the edge again. Yeah. Wow. And like like the the end goal, as I see it from Microsoft, is to at some point get rid of PKI mm-hmm. and only do like self-signed and stuff since they don't want the PKI infrastructure as such moved to the cloud. It really doesn't make total sense. And I know that Tony is now looking like he really disagrees with this and i know that many others disagree with this fully but to me there are limited use cases uh, or not limited use cases but you could do it in a lot of other ways than leveraging pki infrastructure and another cool thing in the and this is like Tony will love the next technical preview of Configuration Manager because this one is called Configuration Manager Technical or Configuration Manager 2002. So the next one will be Configuration Manager 2003. So we are back there. Yeah, uh, I'm old in- enough to actually get that reference. So yeah, <laughs> dude, I started uh, with NT4. Yeah. So one of the cool new features in the 2002 release is that software updates now tries to evaluate if a software update group includes a servicing stack update. The servicing stack update is an update that updates Windows Update. And therefore, it may be a prerequisite for some of the new patches. 
Previously, you couldn't control if this one were installed first or later, and therefore you could end up in a situation where you needed to reboot your device at least twice. So the thinking now is that Configuration Manager should try to figure out which update is the servicing stack update and apply that first, and therefore minimizing the amount of reboots. That is useful. Yeah, and a bunch of other cool features that we need to talk about and in another episode, I would assume. That is true, because we're definitely running out of time. Thank you very much for listening. We'll be back next week. And until then, have a great time. Bye. Bye. Damn it, Simon. <laughs>